Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you all. Um, I knew for a couple weeks, sorry, this mic is going to bother me. I, uh, I set it up wrong. Um, but I knew for a couple weeks I was going to get to preach, and God has laid a couple different passages on my heart, but, but none of them um, have really stuck um, out as much as our passage today, which is 1 Peter 3, 8 through 16. If you would go ahead and turn there with me. Um, this is a really interesting um, time in the life of the church when Peter wrote this epistle. Um, he, he, he's written it to Christians in the area of what is today is Turkey, and they are, in facing, they are facing really incredible hardships. They're being persecuted because they're Jews. They are being persecuted by fanatical Jews because they're Christians. Um, there's a lot of false and really odd rumors going around on what Christians believe. And as a whole, pagan society and the Roman state are now um, coming after them. So it's really no surprise then that this is one of, of Peter's um, one of Peter's things that he really focuses on in this letter. So if you will read with me, this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, beginning uh, there in verse 8. And I am reading from the NIV. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see the good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to prayer, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. This is the word of God. So Peter starts this section talking about being loving, being compassionate, being willing to compromise. We see a command not to repay evil for evil, but with a blessing. And this is really the persistent theme through the whole book. In verse 10, we see... We get a section referencing Psalm 34. And then verse 13 gives this rhetorical question, who is going to harm you if you do good? And, and it's rhetorical. It's a statement. It's not a question. The answer is usually no one will harm you. But even if they do, that we or the, the audience should not be frightened. He writes, revere Christ as Lord. And if we're not careful, we might miss the significance of that statement to say 
Christ is, was Lord would have been a provocative um, statement. The saying in those times was Caesar is Lord because the Roman society, the Roman culture worshipped Caesar. So to say Christ is Lord is really to go against the prevailing culture of the time. Uh, for Christians, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is, and he's the only one. And, and this would later become one of Rome's biggest motivations to persecute the early church. And, and then we finally reach what I kind of would like to focus on for this one. As Peter has been thus far emphasizing the importance of being faithful and obedient to Christ, Christ's calling for the Christians, sorry, Peter's been focusing on um, the importance of the church to be faithful in their actions, in their behaviors, in their attitudes. And he shifts now in calling for the church to be ready to share their faith. Our attitudes and our responses to evil are a part of our testimony, but there comes a time when Christians need to be ready to share their faith. Um, and, and these are the themes that we will see through the whole, that these are the themes in chapter 3 that we see throughout the whole book of 1 Peter. And that's why to really get into 1 Peter, I want to spend a moment thinking about the context of the book. As I already mentioned, the young church is uh, being persecuted, um, and, and not even just on a state level, like on a community level, people are persecuting, people are harassing followers of Jesus. And in all of this evil and chaos, Peter consistently implores the church to live differently than the world around them. And we see this in a few different examples. Notably, in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, he writes, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Peter calls his audience to be holy, to be set apart, sanctified, to be different than the world, ultimately to be like Jesus. We'll look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. He writes, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. This isn't a random series of sins to avoid. Think of this in the context of what we've already talked about. He's talking about avoiding these sinful desires because they are the temptations people experience from being persecuted. A part of being a follower of Jesus and to be holy like him is to put all hatred, ill will, rude attitudes, and behaviors behind. Don't lie, attack others, be rude, or be condescending, even if they treat you this way. And so this is the sentiment of chapter 3, verse 9, when he says, don't repay evil for evil. So then, the concern for Peter in the book as a whole is for the heroes to be encouraged to be faithful and obedient to the calling of Christ. Not only for their own spiritual well-being, but also for others by the demonstration of, a, of transformation of life. Responding to evil with love is not only the right thing to do, and not only does it benefit us now and the time to come, but it benefits others as in us they see the working and moving grace of God. Their lives as such, our lives as such, are then stories that demonstrate the good news of Jesus. Their story matters, mattered, and your story matters as well. 
We live in a different context than specifically what Peter is writing to, yet there is a lot we can learn. Our culture has a lot of ideas of how to live and respond to things in life, and even if we don't often admit it, we sometimes embrace the eye-for-an-eye mentality. We often hear or say things like, when someone pushes me, I push back. I didn't start it, but I'm going to finish it. For a lot of us, at a lot of different times, it kind of feels good to get even when we're wronged. Yet, as First Peter, the rest of Scripture, and the very life of Jesus would point, we are to live differently. Yes, this is, firstly, the best thing for us to do. This is another one of Peter's points. We are blessed when we live out obedient faith and love, even if that blessing was not exactly what we were expecting. This morning, however, I'm more focused on thinking about how our actions affect our testimonies. Your story really does matter, and if you aren't living faithfully, then your testimony, your witness, your story won't look like it is supposed to. The story of your faith and what God has done will not mean anything to anybody if it's clear it's a thinly veiled lie. In his commentary on 1 Peter, Perkheiser writes, one can only regret that so much of modern church life falls short of the pattern set forth here. A local church animated by the spirit of unity, sympathy, brotherly love, kindness, courtesy, and forgiveness would be the most attractive group on earth. Yet we cannot have in the church what does not characterize us as individuals. How you live is the first way you explain your hope. But it isn't the only. So now we reach the whole point of this sermon. Throughout the whole book, Peter has been focused on attitudes and actions and behaviors. And then in verse 15, we see, as I've already mentioned, the emphasis of the need to actually share your faith. Ideally, everything we are and do and say will flow of a heart transformed by the grace of God. Sometimes, often, the fruit of our maturing life becomes the seed that God uses to plant the Word of God. So now what? I want to look at Peter's instruction to the early church on how to share. He gives a few imperative words how. The first thing he writes is be ready. As much as the early church was to be ready, we are too. The message of Jesus and the story that God has been working in our life is far too important to wait until it is needed to think about it. We need to have thought and considered our faith and our life long enough to honestly and faithfully talk about it. Secondly, we are to give an answer. Different translations translate this differently. For some, it is answer. For others, it is explain or defend. I think for our context, share fits as well. In whatever case, it's clear that we are to be ready to proclaim with our words. There's a really good saying that is always going around, and it conveys a really important idea. Go into all the world and preach the gospel if you must, and if you must, use words. The whole point of that um, saying is that there's a lot of the Christian hope that can be shown simply by our actions. Sometimes we talk when we should act, and it's true. 
The problem, if we blindly think like that, is that we often forget that, yes, we must actually use our words. As good and important to our faith, our actions and our attitudes are, we must be careful that we don't diminish the value of our words. The problem with going to all the world and preach the gospel, and if you must use words, is that, yes, we must actually do just that. And oftentimes, we don't. There is no substitute or filler to replace our need to actually explain our hope. Don't let the need for us to be faithful in our actions become an excuse to be lazy in our speech. Do not let the need for us to be faithful in our actions become an excuse to be lazy in our speech. Notice very clearly what it is we are to explain, defend, or share. He doesn't say be ready to explain your favorite football team or who you're voting for. It's your hope, our hope. Your story, the story of what God has done, is the most effective way to explain the gospel. The overwhelming majority of people do not need to hear a five-premise argument about how they should logically believe in God. They don't need to read some article from Answers in Genesis. They don't need to see you arguing on social media. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. What they need to encounter is the living, resurrected Messiah. And the best way, the primary way is through you and me. As verse 14 points out, they need to hear your hope, your story, how God has healed you, how God has forgive, helped you forgive abuse, how God helped you overcome that alcohol addiction how God helped rescue your marriage or instead heal you from its wounds, how God sustained you when you lost your job, how God has redeemed your mistakes, taken your shame, and healed those you hurt, how God has given you peace that your final breath won't be just that. They need to hear and see the resurrected Jesus living in you because those are the things they are going through right now. They are going through that crisis, through that addiction, through that hopelessness, through that mess they created. And this is why we have to be ready. There are people dying, and if we don't care enough to be ready, they could miss their opportunity. Lastly, Peter explains how to go about doing all of this with gentleness and respect. After reading through 1 Peter, it's not a surprise that Peter goes out of his way to emphasize one more time. Our society really likes our punchy one-liners, fast comebacks, aggressive sarcasm, passive-aggressive comments that all seek to demean, belittle, insult others for thinking differently. And I've even seen some Christians, whether they realize it or not, come off this way. Sometimes, that's me. Yet, as he states here again, he states it here again. So why would Peter keep explaining this over and over and over? Because it's really important. Because your story matters. You aren't called to be the next or a different version of Billy Graham or Diedrich Bonhoeffer or any other Christian writer or preacher. Your story doesn't need to be neat. It doesn't need to be perfect or even finished. It simply needs to be open and honest about what God has 
done. And that is why your story matters. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and this chance that we could gather and worship and spend time in fellowship. And I pray, God, that we would take seriously this call that you have placed in our lives to be ready to, to share the story that you have been doing in our life. And I pray, God, that we would stop and consider it and think of its importance. And, and God, I just pray also this morning that we wouldn't use our actions, actions as an excuse, not uh, as a need to, to speak, or our need to speak as an excuse not to act, but may we live faithfully to be the people that you have called us to be. I just pray, God, that as we go from here, you would open our hearts and our minds and, and show us the world as you see it. I ask this in Jesus, Jesus' powerful name and through the power of the Spirit. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.